Welcome everyone to the world of Debbie Football here at the Debbie Workshop. I'm your host, Andrew Woodruff, joined by not one, but two co-hosts this week as we work through the world of college football to help you find the future NFL stars. Join us today as we continue talking about our Debbie Voids, focusing in on the receivers and the tight ends. Let's get started. Welcome to the Debbie Workshop, everyone. We are the college-focused portion of the crew over at Filmalytics. Again, the goal of Filmalytics is just to provide you with a viewpoint based off film and analytics together. With the fantasy football landscape expanding, you can turn to Filmalytics to be your go-to shop for all your fantasy football needs, whether it's Debbie, C2C like ourselves, Dynasty, Redraft, DFS, and even Best Ball. If you're interested in learning a little bit more, keep listening to this and our other podcasts that we also got in the same feed, go over, check us out on patreon.com backslash analytics. We got models for all positions. doesn't matter what you're looking for. We've got breakout models. We've got stash models. We've got content and articles potentially coming out with another way to see it shortly. Heck we've got giant databases over at notion. And if you just, just want to get to know us, come over to our discord, man. It's free. You can pause this episode, go check out the show sheet. We'll have a link to it right there. All right, so we're back. We've had some drama. I don't know who technically I would consider my co-host at this point. Y'all both have lied to me the past two episodes, guys. So <laughs> we I, I, have to, I have to start off. Ben, what what happened? Yeah. What happened here? Well, I had to – we're in a C2C cycle, and it hit round five uh, last night, and it all just went downhill. I have to, I have to get bonds, bonds. Round five of a C2C, already downhill. I got bands. I, I just, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe I was going to get room, but for some reason my brain just went, screw it, it'll be free. I'll get him. I'll get bands. He must be good. Even though I've just spent nearly two hours talking about him being in a void, but you know. We, we move. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to bring you to the lights. And then Chance over here in the dark side, I've at least brought you into the light. So Chance, you want to admit what happened here real quick? Oh, man. I uh, It was the 2-2 uh, the in the C2C startup. And I sat there and was like, you know, it's QB5. We talked about last podcast that QB7 was kind of where he was, where his ADP was. The two above him, we kind of all agreed, you know, or at least Andrew and I agreed. Yeah, I'd take Richardson over those two at QB5. Came down to it. I wanted Ewers in the first. Didn't happen. I got Braylon Allen, though, so I was super excited because that's my guy. Then at the 2-2, I knew Richardson would not make it back to the 3-11, and I needed to mix it up with my quarterbacks because my quarterbacks, I I don't like my positional players or anything. Any of my fantasy players really looking the same besides a few. So I drafted Anthony Richardson as QB5 at the early second after banging the table that he was in a void. Massive avoid saying he is a sell-high candidate. <laughs> and I will confirm, he would not have made it back to you if I had my way. But that didn't happen. We'll jump more into that later about some C2C stuff. Welcome to the overpaying club for Anthony Richardson. He is worth it. We he just have to be. wait an extra year. <laughs> he better be worth it, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out who to actually claim as my co-host now because y'all have lied to me and I don't know what to do. It's all right. Let's 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 talk about some avoids. I'm sure y'all guys will find them 
better for C2C anyway. Heck, maybe I'll figure out which one you're about to take next if we do this episode. So today's Debbie avoids. We're going to talk about through some receivers. We're going to talk about some tight ends. Tight ends will hold off to the end. Let's go ahead and let's jump into some receivers. Chance, lay it on us. This was a Bama dude. No longer like why? Why are we out on a, a Jai Hall? Hey, Chance, that is a great topic. You've got to unmute yourself. Muting. I'm not. I'm not used to this whole muting <laughs> stuff. My bad. Uh, you know, there were some character issues that came up with the Jai Hall. We saw him kind of take to Twitter to express that stuff. You know, not something that I, I like. Um, he bashed Alabama. He bashed you know the fans and me being an Alabama fan, I was kind of like, whoa, but okay. You know, I, I get it. You know, the fans were, they're, they're not the kindest at times. I, I get it. Um, but you know, just going to Texas, you, you got Xavier worthy ahead of you. You now have Isaiah Nair, who I'm a big fan of. I really like Nair. So as of right now, he's a wide receiver three in a Texas offense. I don't even know if he's on the roster right now. Cause I know there was some talk about him not even being on the team, some rumors, um, that I have not been able to conform, conform, confirm or deny. Um, so, you know, ADP positional, he's a 20th, he's wide receiver 20, uh, which is kind of rich for my blood seeing who's going after him. There are some picks after him that I do like more. Um, and then there are, you know, ADP of 55.5 puts him right there in the fifth round roughly and looking at our you know c2c draft and our previous debbie drafts there's a lot of guys in the fifth that i would much rather have um whether it's wide receiver or not but yeah i just didn't see a whole lot from him at alabama when his number was called he didn't perform up to you know up to par uh, for what we all expected it was kind of when numbers were called jacory brooks was the guy that you know bryce young started leaning on because he knew he couldn't really lean on hall so with all that i'm just out on hall I will say, um, according to an article back in June, he is technically at Texas, but receiver 20 price for possibly the receiver three of Texas. That's, that's, that is very rich. Yeah, we, know that, we know that team's going in good directions. You know, you've got the QBs, you've got you you've got Manning coming in, you know, uh, it's quite, it's quite a good team so far, but for hard, just, too pricey for what you'll get back, I think. He's very boom or bust. You know, he's got the talent to be one of the the higher-end guys, but I think his personality is just going to get a bit too much of him. I think um, he sort of just can't contain it. And at a college level, someone at NFL will look at that and be like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to have to deal with this sort of diva wide receiver, you know. Yeah, and the way you got to look at it too is that price is just if it's an Alabama wide receiver three or an Ohio State wide receiver three or an LSU wide receiver three, you know, these schools that are known for, you know, being wide receiver university, these schools that constantly produce high level NFL talent, you could, you know, you could make the case for that. But a school like Texas, where Ben's right, up and coming, got yours, you're going to have Manning come in. None of that's proven. Uh, you have Robinson in the backfield. You have Jaden Blue after Robinson's gone. Do they, you know, go lean towards more of a run-heavy offense? Do they, you know, air raid? You know, it's just there's a lot of question marks around how the offense will operate. And so 
if this cost was, you know, further down, I would be open to it because I, I still think that Hall is a really talented wide receiver. But at cost and given the entirety of the situation with attitude and not know, the unknowings, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this recently on a different episode about when it comes to Debbie, you've got to minimize your risk while like, just taking the best shot at a player increasing value. It probably is not going to increase in value this year, so we're really banking on next year taking that receiver two spot after Worthy. And, I mean, you're still operating as a receiver two, most likely with Ewers, assuming he stays – good this year he would be the starting quarterback next year that's just that's a really high price and there's a lot of freshmen that'll be more comfortable letting them sit most likely gain value next year than betting on him at that point yeah i think you know it's quite a consensus as well because i know that we had him pretty much all in our votes so you know it's a general case of with Debbie, you want to stay safe. You don't want to waste that sort of pick, like you said, Andrew. And it's just, it's hard to, at that price, just lean in on him so much. Yeah, just some closing thoughts on that, too. Unless, Andrew, I know you unmuted, so you might have something to say. Um, but looking at our current, you know, C2C startup we got going on, we're currently on wide receiver 23. Hall hasn't been picked yet, so like Ben said, it does seem like consensus uh, where his ADP is generally. A lot of people are out on it, and for good reason. Yeah, and no, I was just going to add, there's a lot of these freshmen, my top four guys, I would easily take over him. I mean, I'd even take a shot with a guy like Mumpfield, who produced at a small school. Now we're hoping he carries that over to Pittsburgh as the number one option. I mean, heck, I'd even take a shot on Dante Demas Jr., those kind of guys that have flashed, but an injury held them back before. Before I just the the off field red flags, we've seen it with other players. It's not a lot of times it actually ends up working out for you. All right, we're kind of moving on, Ben. Let's go ahead. Let's throw it over to one of your dudes. I'll let you, I'll let you choose which one you want to talk about first. You've got a juicy one, but you may want to mm-hmm. save him. Uh, okay. So chances is telling me to go. <laughs> um, I, it's quite controversial, but I'm putting Keishon Boutte as an avoid. Uh, I just that's have an interesting sense. choice. I've uh, he's so talented and he's so such a good wide receiver, but I feel like the way that LSU were going, it's quite tough to be able to put uh, that price on him. Even though he's very talented and in the NFL, you'll probably be able to translate well over to the NFL. It's just that the coaching staff at LSU are going to be more rush heavy. So bringing in Brian Kelly, coming in less pass passes coming along, you know, and with him not, possibly be able to get production. He's going to possibly fall down the drafts because you're not going to be able to see as much tape on him and be able to understand how far he's transitioned from like 
year one to year two to year three. And I know that in the past five years, uh, Mike Denbrock uh, have been a offensive coordinator. Um, he hadn't had a wide receiver that had hit caught 65 balls or hit 900 yards or hit double digit touchdowns. I'd imagine at those college, uh, when he was offensive coach at uh, the other college, he wouldn't have had a wide receiver like Boutte, but it's tough to try and put an identity of another offensive coach into this LSU team and get get him uh, produce really high elite numbers to get picked so high in the draft. I will say that I can I can understand the concern there. I do think NFL scouts so would be willing to look at his full career and go, okay, this is what he did as a freshman. Can we mold it from there? But where where is his ADP at? Right, I know it's like it's got to be around six, right? Yeah. So he is about five point five. So you get him pretty pretty early on. You know, I think his talent could be that high, you know, but you've got the guys like Robinson, Henderson, you know, uh, the two quarterbacks, like, uh, and then you've got him or GSN, and I I, I lean more GSN. Yeah, I feel like he'll be able to produce a lot more and he'll probably get that draft capital, be able to project up a bit higher to a team that will be able to produce, you know, because... This year was so wide receiver heavy. and But you've got next year coming up where you'll have quite a few teams that, because I feel like in NFL, a lot of the teams are quite bunched together rather than like first five or ten where you sort of guess where their draft capital is going to be. I think, I think that uh, GSN might be able to fit into a good system and produce straight away. Whereas if... Um, like Boutte comes in and he, he might not perform well, his draft capital comes down, he might end up going to uh, one of those lower end teams where you sort of think, will he be able to produce as high as GSN, who is everyone's sort of comparing him to? Yeah, I will say if you're comparing the top two, it's, it's easily GSN for me over Boutte. Uh, but I know my big reason, it comes back to that leg injury. And it's it's not just one surgery that we've heard of, whether it's his foot, his ankle, whatever it is, maybe the two together. Um, it's multiple. And it's not like within a couple of years, it's within a couple of months. Uh, that, that right there is what really gets to me. I get where both of you guys are coming at, but kind of counterpoint. So, you know, Ben, you mentioned maybe not a pass-heavy offense, Nothing wrong with that when you look at Ohio State last year, right? Pass heavy, but JSN took a lot of that. Chris Olave, 65 receptions, 936 yards. Garrett Wilson, 70 receptions, just over 1,000 yards. Before that, you know, Garrett Wilson's first two years, 432 yards, 723 yards. Keishawn Boutte, 735, 509. Chris Olave, you know, he had 197 as a freshman, then 840, 729. So his stats prior to his final season in college, which could be next year, 
he could decide to stay for his senior year, you know, if he doesn't perform up to his own standard. Uh, the way colleges and both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson both had first round draft capital. I think that's the key here is Keishon Boutte is going to get first round draft capital unless he absolutely, you know, unless he, the leg injury, ankle injury, whatever holds him still, or he has another injury or he just completely wets the bed. I, if he gets 900 yards, if he gets 800 yards, I still think he's going to get first round draft capital just because NFL scouts are going to look at it like, okay, well, this is the system he was in. This is the quarterback he played with. He put up these numbers, and whenever the ball was in his hands, this is what he looked like. The dude is an absolute animal when the ball is in his hands. He's an animal without the ball in his hands. He has really good ball tracking skills. He is a phenomenal wide receiver, and I'm willing to bet on him at ADP given what we've seen. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that, like, it's – I've seen it recently, especially when it's kind of close to the reports. You could get him more at a value. You didn't have to spend pick five, pick six. Like you get him right there at the end of the turn for some people at the end of that first round. So like his stats, like he put up 503 yards in 2021. And it was just six games. Like he didn't even play a full season. So like, I agree that the offensive coordinator change could be an issue, but I think he's talented enough to at least take it up to that level and show, hey, I can still be dangerous when I get the chance. Outside of that leg injury, yeah, I agree. There's sometimes he needs to just kind of focus in on those deep catches, using his hands a little bit more instead of letting it come to his pad. But, I mean, that's that's a coaching point. Honestly, my biggest issue for him is just still that injury. As long as the injury is fine, I see him playing this fall. I, I don't have an issue with him. So in our startup Debbie conference draft that we did, I was able to get him technically wide receiver two, wide receiver three, you know, however you want to put it, because I had back-to-back picks, but it was at the beginning of the second round. Right there, I feel like, I, can we all agree that if you're able to get him, and that, that is a 10-team league, so that's technically, you know, you're looking at the 111, 112 and a 12-man I mean, Ben, would you be willing to agree that that is good value for him, or are you out even at that price? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's okay. I think early second because you know he's got got the talent, and if I think if you believe in him to be able to push that talent after the the injuries in uh, the sort of NFL, I think early seconds okay. But you know, you see him go. Um, top five, top six, often towards the middle of the first. And I think there's just a few more, like, safer bets that you can pick, which you might sort of have to sit on for a bit longer or, you know, uh, get the the first five guys. If you can't get the first five guys, go get your guy. And I, th- I just think Boo is just sort of that middle, middle in sort of, like, can I rely on him? Because can he stay healthy? Because I know he had multiple surgeries, like Andrew said. You know, when it becomes multiple surgeries, it becomes such a bigger red flag than just, oh, he's had one injury to his ankle or and he's been able to get over it. You know, like in our Discord today, we were talking about Justin Ross and about how he's in a walking boot again. And it's sort of, um, 
can he get over that injury to be able to make the 53-man roster? Because it's been multiple different foot injuries for him. And, you know, it can continue on. And I think I'd just rather have that safer bet with someone else. Now, he has been cleared to play. He was cleared, was it last month? I think it was, yeah, it was like middle to end of last month he was cleared for all participation. So was his surgery, and I know his last surgery, and I don't know it, but I'm like 99% sure, I just can't remember. It was preventative, which we see a lot of times we see these preventative surgeries. Um, One player that just comes to mind and sure as hell, I'm going back to this guy is in college to a tug of Iloa, had preventative ankle surgery to prevent, you know, sprained ankles and rolled ankles and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing if it's a preventative injury or preventative surgery, but I, I understand the previous injury, but this last surgery preventative um, and he's already cleared to play after a few months of going through that. I mean, ultimately I think it comes down to, I, I definitely get the mindset then like of limiting the risk, like I said, again. So if it's a first round pick, it's probably your first pick in the draft. Yeah, you have to weigh those odds. And ultimately, I think I would lean a different direction as well, but that's because receivers are much easier to replace. Running backs are much harder to get. So if you can land the right running back at that point, I definitely see the value in that. Another way to look at it, though, is, you know, you, you got to look at when it comes to the NFL level, you could have a Justin Jefferson type receiver or you can kind of have one of those second, third round picks and startups or, you know, uh, redraft leagues. So essentially what I'm trying to say is, you know, Keishon Butte could end up being a Justin Jefferson or a Jamar Chase to where he's such a high value player because of how skillful he is, how much he produces, that he is worth taking higher because, you know, you're not taking him over guys like Jonathan Taylor who – you know, which might be the case for Trey Henderson or uh, Bajon Robinson, which I believe will be the case. But, you know, you're taking them over guys like Tank Bigsby, stuff like that when it comes to those other positional players. And like looking at our last Debbie draft, like you said, you got him at uh, two, 201, 202. I think the it's with it being a, a tight, tight end premium and two tight ends start, you know, I could argue bringing up Bowser Mayer up towards that level of the first, second round, you know, because the tight ends are so scarce that you sort of need them, especially in that that sort of sit, sit, uh, setting that Matt loves in our leagues. And, you know, you've got guys like Ewers, Anthony Richardson going around him. I think it does come down to roster uh, construction wherever you want him. But I would definitely take Ewers over him. I'd take all the people in the first round over him, you know, Abijan Stroud, um, Bryce, Caleb, Allen, Henderson, GSN, Gibbs, you know, all those names. Apart from Richardson, I'd probably say Boutte over him. So I'd say late first is what I'm willing to pay. So instead of like 
ADP six prices, you, you'd prefer to get them at like that 12, 13 range. Yeah, just okay. less less risk, like we've said. Totally understand. And I get where Chance was coming from a second ago. Like there's, there's a very high ceiling with this dude. We saw him produce yeah. in 2020 with some great teammates around him. So, yeah, it's, it really just comes down to risk. Are you willing to gamble on the upside on that? Or do you need to go a different route and hope that he comes back at the end of the first if you can get back? Goodness, if you can get back to a pick at that point. See, another point is, you know, you, you got to, in fantasy football, you, you when you have a high player ceiling that might have a, you know, higher risk than normal, you're still going to take him over a lot of those safer fours. I mean, CMC Anthony Richardson was, comes to mind. CMC was, yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. You, you've shown me the light on Anthony Richardson, but CMC comes to mind. You know, he had that terrible 2020 season that was just plagued with injury. And he was still the 1-1 overall. He was still the consensus number one pick. And then he, again, you know, had a bad season. But when he did play, he was averaging, what, 25 to 28 points a game? So now that's where risk management does come in. But I think what to win your league, you have to be willing to take those risks. But I think when it comes to Debbie, the biggest thing to think about, not only roster construction, you wouldn't have to take Michael Mayer or Brock Bowers over Keishon Butte because they're even – even in a two tight end league or a tight end premium type league, people are still scared of the tight end position because of how volatile it is and how unpredictable it can be. Plus so, how long it takes to emerge. Exactly. Tight ends don't typically produce year one. You know, you have those every so often that will, but sometimes it takes, you know, two, three years for them to actually start producing. Um, but then you also have to look at when it comes to Debbie, you have to look at how your roster at the NFL side is currently constructed. What are you needing? You know, you, you got to look at, okay, I need wide receivers. My wide receiver core at the NFL level isn't too good. Boutte could be a 2023 guy and he could instantly make your wide receiver core that much better. And if you're one, if you're one or two wide receivers away from being a true competitor, that's how your NFL roster is built out. Then, you know, that he is the type of guy that's when you take that risk of taking him in the mid first, maybe even early first. All right, I think I think that's a good summary debate right there of kind of where the risk plus the rewards possibly could lie. A lot of it just going to come down to, let's see what he looks like in fall camp. Uh, I'll have to go back and check SEC media days and see if his coach brought up anything, potentially a timeline of, hey, this dude is back, this dude is out. We'll, we'll see right there. Goodness. I didn't really see him bring up too much. He more was talking about how LSU looks like that might be Brian Kelly's last coaching spot. So he's going to stay there until he retires or gets gets fired. We'll see what happens. It's a, it's a very interesting scenario. All right, let's go ahead and let's, let's kind of hop it over to my first one. Uh, it's a dude I've talked about before a couple of times on Twitter. Y'all may have seen a Twitter thread that actually was a good quality Twitter thread about him. Um, he flashed. A lot of people like this kid. He's going to enter in as a third-year guy. He is the receiver one for the University of North Carolina. Uh, right now, that is Josh Downs. He is listed on the website as 5'10", 171. I, I've, I've just got to start there real quick. Like He has been listed at that weight and height since his high school freshman year. I went back and looked it up. He's literally been 5'10", 170 that entire time until he got to his recruiting profiles where he was five foot nine, five foot 10, 160 to 165. Like, so they, they listed him lower. And like, we even see on some of those services, sometimes they'll kind of ask the player, Hey, what do you want me to put? 
or like what do you what do you think we could get here so i mean he was already listed under what every high school is doing which from a coaching perspective yeah if i if i got a 160 kid i, I was 160 as a senior my, my coach still put 175 on the chart i mean it's just what we do but that is seven years now where we've seen this kid not really be able to gain weight. And that worries me because that affects some of the things we want to talk about in a second. He is purely a slot guy. 882 reps in the slot, only 15 on the outside. Like that is going to play an effect on how he can be used in the NFL. He's not a guy who's going to beat press man coverage every time. He's mostly going to be that slot guy that hopes no one's coming down. There's no good slot corner that can press him and working off his release based off that. And I don't know about y'all, but what, like, what do slot receivers need to succeed in the NFL? Open to either, y'all. Yeah. Route running. And what else? For fantasy success, what do they need? Not just route running. Uh, I'm stumped here. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else. I know I'm missing something too. I I know I am. Speed. I said speed. Oh, that. Sorry. <laughs> besides speed, besides route running, take take it out of his situation. What does he need? Not his traits. Oh well, I mean, you need to be able to catch into traffic. You're gonna be you're gonna be over the middle a whole lot as a slot guy. He you know, is. You're, and you're gonna tiny, need size. You're gonna need dude. size. Size. Right. But outside of that, he also needs volume, a lot mm-hmm. of volume. I mean, if we're talking about a dude that we want to have a receiver one type ceiling, a receiver one, again, top 12, he's got to have that volume. And that limits which teams are willing to sit there and put that kind of volume pumped into a slot receiver. So I get it. NFL's moving over to three receiver sets more often, but you still normally see your traditional number one option somewhere on the outside or able to play all the positions around downs. Currently, I don't believe can do that. Speaking of his offense, Sam Howell, who supposedly was a first round pick. Um, there might be some injury stories behind why he went fifth round, but Howell was definitely the most successful guy that we saw at North Carolina so far. They don't have him anymore. And they're got a pair of third year uh, quarterbacks fighting it out right now. Don't even know if anybody's going to win that. Uh, if it's going to be Chriswell, if it's going to be May. But this is going to be a brand new starter for the most part. That brand new starter is now stuck behind an offensive line that's replacing three guys. And last year, ended up giving up the most sacks in the ACC. I know it is extremely important if you got a new quarterback to protect him. And if this line is replacing that many dudes, that quarterback may not get the time to throw. He might be under pressure a lot, which means the quality of your targets goes down. He may be trying to scramble more, which means he doesn't see as many targets. Heck, he may be stacked, depending on who it is in the backfield. They just may not be as good as Howell is. So we might see a stat decline. We've seen that affect receivers before if their stats drop overall after a big year. And it's – I mean, really – the other things that came back down to outside of scheme and a man, I could, I could go on about how NFL scouts may not actually like this route tree concept. 
based off Diamond Brown had three, uh, two solid years, only went in round three. Daz Newsom had a couple solid years, went in round five. Marquise Goodwin, under the same coach, went in round three. Like, a lot of the dudes went round three, except for he's had one receiver back in 2004. Roy Williams, that was the first-round pick. And, I mean, Ben, you brought up a second ago, like, last year there was a receiver run. Maybe there's not a receiver run this year in the first. Like, a lot of people go, oh, well, John Dotson went first round. But what if there's not a receiver run and we see four to five other good receivers would end up higher grades than he does? And I get it. You can say he has speed, but stop and watch the film for a moment. And I've sat there and I've, I've gone through three games. FSU, UVA, and uh, one other. I'll have to go back and look back which one it was. He has some speed, but when he releases, defenders are actually staying on him pretty good, as long as they're not out of position. If they're out of position, yeah, they get beat a couple times, but if they're in position, they're able to mirror and keep up with him. And I saw that with linebackers. I saw that with safeties. I saw a couple corners keeping up with him for the most part. When he makes those catches, he gets tackled. No, he's not breaking tackles. Like the first dude touches him. Honestly, it looked like a couple of times they breathe on him and he just fell. You combine that with some things like drops and everybody's just ranking this dude as a top three receiver for this draft class. I don't know. That sounds risky to me. I mean, not even just top three for this class. Looking at his ADP, so in our notes, this positional ranking is wide receiver seven. Looking at this chart, it's showing wide receiver five, and he's being taken as the 18th overall pick. Looking at the players that are behind him, you got Michael Mayer right behind him. I'll take Mayer over Downs 10 times out of 10. Bowers, take him over Downs. Uh, Nicholas Singleton and Jaden Blue, take both of them over him. Quentin Johnston is wide receiver six right here. I'll take him over Downs. I'll take Jermaine Burton, who's after that. Yeah, I'll take Jermaine Burton over that, too. I'll take Corey Brooks. I'll take Marvin Harrison Jr. I'll take Amika Agbuka. Hell, I'll take Marvin Mims over him. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a way to pound the table right there for him. There, there's, a lot, there's a lot of players. Like I, I was very neutral on downs just because produced as a sophomore, which is great. But like you said, there's a lot of things wrong with not only his game, but the scheme he's in and the scheme that has produced wide receivers. You mentioned Jahan Dotson being uh, drafted in the first round. Jahan Dotson, I always liked Dotson. I think Dotson's a better wide receiver than Downs is. Uh, I mean, I easily agree with that part. So it's just, yeah, I, I mean, at the cost, wide receiver five, I, I just, I, I can't justify taking him as my wide receiver five, considering what wide receivers are, you know, right after him and a little further down the list. And the tight ends and the running backs right behind him. That's just that's really rich for my blood, really rich. I will say, like, if you take the time to actually go back and watch the film, a lot of those big plays he makes is out of three receiver bunch sets. So, you know, you got that triangle basically with the middle receiver up on the line. Like, those two other receivers did a really good job clearing the field, and then he would break to wherever he needed to get to, and he was more open. Honestly, a lot of his other plays, it came back to, like, just little bubble screen passes to the receiver. He would act like he's making a bubble to the outside, and then he would break it back in and do a mid-screen with his line blocking in front of him. But the second he got into any defender, he was not good at breaking tackles, which for a dude that's supposed to be built on speed, you should have that short area quickness. You should be able to make some moves. It it just didn't show up. And maybe I watched the wrong three games, but, I mean, like 
that's a three-game sample size. I took every single play, took the time to clip it, put it together. And, I mean, that's that's what stood out to me. And I know we talked about John Dotson, but Dotson had 608 snaps on the outside last year. Like, that's more than Downs can get, even if he played exclusively in the outside this year, I believe. Like, I don't think he could get that many. So, I know people sit there and make that comparison, but you're comparing a slot receiver to a dude who maybe is shorter, but was successful and actually more physical on the outside. Dotson didn't just get tackled by the first two that touched him every time. He wasn't a liability when it came to 50-50 jump balls. It's it's just different skill sets. Yeah, like um, with Downs, I think he, he has a... Let's have a look. A 4.474 yard dash, which is, it's decent, but it's not like... That's not game-breaking at that size, though, right? Yeah. Like, when you adjust for well, size, yeah. it's like, that's not good. It's, it's as well, like, like you said about his, his weight. You know, uh, wide receivers in the NFL sort of want to have that bulkiness about they want to be able to out like strength the cornerbacks, which seem to be getting bigger and stronger alongside with the wide receivers. And we know, I mean, they're getting just which, as fast. Yeah, exactly. You know, you and if you're you've got average speed and average size, you're not gonna show off to any NFL scouts being like. Yeah, he might have showed skills last year, getting as many yards and receptions as he did. Like you said, new quarterback and everything. Sort of get those relationships back. You know, it's it's tough that he'll probably be able to put those numbers back up. I think as well, we've seen in the NFL, the slot guys don't really get draft capital much. You know, I've seen like um, Amon Ra, we saw one Wandale last year get a second. Yeah, yeah, like pretty- Wandale, you had Rondale. Um, you've had Tutu Atwell. But are is anybody excited about those kids in the NFL? Like, for a fantasy purpose. I'm ecstatic that these kids made it to the NFL. They're phenomenal athletes, but it's not doing me any good sitting on my bench. And this is a fantasy discussion right here. So it's just, it's a limited ceiling and it's a lot of risk. He might get draft capital. He probably will. Like there, yeah, there's a decent chance he will get right there around that day one, day two turn or somewhere in the second. But I feel like there's players you can wait, Jermaine Burton and others. I mean, heck, you said Quentin Johnson for some people even goes after. But those are the type of little bit bigger dudes that should have productive years in their third years, because everybody's the third year right there we're discussing, with Sonny Dykes and uh, TCU bringing a pass-happy offense. We know the history that Bama receivers have. I know certain people are starting to understand and start pushing him down a little bit, but for just the average person, we still see a lot of value placed in Josh Downs. So I'm avoiding. If I had him, I'd be looking to trade trade for Burton Plus, Trade for a Mecca Buka Plus, who we believe in. Those type of situations. 
I, again, I could, I could go on for a while about this. So, <laughs> man, I'm going to give you the floor back. Speaking of Alabama, I think there's another certain dude you want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about Treshawn uh, Holden, uh, the Alabama wide receiver. We've seen we've seen him last during the spring games. He he started the games because of the Alabama injuries. So we've seen a little bit of hype on him, sort of gaining ADP and positional rankings. You know, we haven't seen him go up too much with a, a 109 uh, positional ranking. And uh, C2C doesn't have an ADP for Debbie. So he's, he's more likely to be the sort of undrafted guy that you might be able to do a little dart throw on, but I don't think he's he's worth that really because we can see uh, doing all these thresholds for him, you know, like reception market share from and so from the first year that uh, he doesn't hit many thresholds to get to that top level in fantasy. And um, Bama have brought in quite a few new guys to tr- try and make sure that they're not bringing all these freshmen onto the field because of loads of injuries last year, like Williams and and stuff like that. So I think they don't really rely on him and they don't see him as strong as people might think. I'll phrase the question this way. Okay. I think everybody's willing to take a shot with Jermaine Bird and Ja'Cory Brooks. Is there any Alabama receivers that were willing to take after that for when it comes to Tebby purposes. We can have a look. I'll, uh... Chance, while he's he's looking, is there any Alabama receivers you would be willing to take in the third, fourth, fifth rounds of Debbie drafts? Not C2C, Debbie. Uh, not in those rounds. Um, I, I'd be willing to take a stab on uh, the Louisville transfer Tyler Harrell in later rounds. Um, just because, like Ben said, you know, Alabama's known for not giving their freshmen the playing time. Nick Saban likes those veteran guys who have had a chance to grow with the playbook and to understand the game and to grow as a whole. Tyler Harrell comes in. He's not a freshman. Um, he is old, um, which it's not fun. But, you know, he's probably – I don't even know what his – I don't even think – I think he'd be on the same threshold as Holden to where he doesn't even have an ADP. Um I know uh, he he may have some ADP now. He he might, yeah, after the transfer, yeah, after the buzz. Um, but he, you know he's six foot, one hundred ninety four pounds. Um, actually, might weigh a little bit more than that now. But you know, I he'd be the one. But yeah, other than those three, in those rounds, JoJo Earl, I've seen get taken early. I've, I've seen that's JoJo, who I was about to bring up. I've seen yeah. JoJo Earl high ranking. I've seen JoJo Earl get taken before, um, Jacory Brooks, which I do not agree with at all. Wow. Um, I've seen him get taken in our C2C. I think he just got taken like right after I took Ja'Cory Brooks. I don't agree with it being that soon, but I would, you know, Jojo Earl, I would take him in those like maybe, you know, fifth, sixth round. Uh, Let me see what his ADP is actually real quick. Uh, Off the top of my head, I looked at a couple different ranking websites. It was uh, Marketplace, Debbie Watch, Campus Camp, and all those places. Like Jojo Earl is top twenty receiver. Wide receiver every, for mm. like he he was top twenty for every one of those ranks. 
God, see, that's just that's way too rich for my blood. I mean, we got Mario Williams at wide receiver 15 right after him, which I would take over Jojo Earl. Um, Luther Burden, I would wait on and take him over Jojo Easy. Earl. I yeah, would like... wait and take Evan Stewart over Jojo or Jojo Earl. Um, so yeah, see, I mean, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I know Jojo Earl costs a lot more, but like he falls into that holding tier with me of it's just a lot of unknown when it comes to Bama. I think I'd rather take a younger, more proven prospect or potential prospect than take the gambit and go, okay, does this Bama receiver translate? Because they've got like literally, good gosh, am I? They've got 12 listed right here. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot. They, that's wide receiver university right there for a reason, or one of them at least. And it's just like, which one? Which one's it going to be? Well, we know Jermaine Burton's going to be that guy. Um, and then I'm, I'm that I'm confident in. I'm very, very confident that. Ja'Cory Brooks will be the next fan up. I think it'll be like a Burton – or not a Burton, sorry. A Williams-Mechie um, type thing. And then, you know, I think Ja'Cory Brooks. I think Burton's going to get his time. Don't forget about NFL. Benson next year. Benson's coming yeah. in next year as well. Yeah. Top Benson, two co-receiver. Yeah. yeah, Benson will be coming in. So, I, th- I think in the next year, I think it'll be Ja'Cory Brooks because he'll have two years under his belt of the offense. He'll be the top dog. And then you'll have Benson as a wide receiver too as a transfer um, maybe Jojo Earl will take over that wide receiver too, and Benson will play the three string. But I just don't, unless Bryce Young, because Bryce Young started that connection with Ja'Cory Brooks last year. So we know that he has a connection with Brooks. So we know Brooks is definitely going to be involved some way or another. Burton was an absolute nightmare in practice for those defensive backs and the entire defense for Georgia. So we know he and can Bama. Ball. And Bama in the spring. And Bama. And Bama in the spring. Yeah. We know he can ball. So we know those are the first two up. Jojo Earl would be next up, um, but wide receiver three and really any offense at that price. No, I'm good. All right, well, man, it looks like you got that pulled up real quick. Yeah, so it's basically um, Earl and then Anderson and Isaiah Bond, Preston, Prentice, Prentice, Leary. Shaz Preston? Is that who you're talking? Yeah, there's Kobe Prentice and the other Shaz Preston. Yep. And so, like, yeah, those guys are kind of like way down the list. I don't really know how to value them yet. It's like I said, it's just a very crowded backfield. It's kind of like, do you want to take the shot on Jace McClellan? Same thing. It's it's a very crowded situation. So, do they ever see the field? That's the thing. It's like. You know, like we know, we've said already, it's a wide receiver university, isn't it? You see, they pop them out, they put them out everywhere, they go everywhere and out in the NFL. And people might just see the Alabama name for the team and just think, well, I'll take a shot on him, you know. And I think it's being wary of the fact that they brought in depth, they brought in all these new guys to sort of. I I definitely agree. I would take any of those freshmen over him. I think they may be rated over him as well. Holden's just one of those, like, even if you go that deep into a draft, there's got to be somebody else I prefer. So, moving along, Chance, I see your second option up here. He's somebody who I also happen to put a thread out, so I'm curious – Go ahead and lay the case out. Why are you avoiding this next dude? Because of your thread. 
you i'm i'm gonna be completely blunt you know i your thread alone i hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention to dontavian wicks um you released your thread on him i read your thread looked at everything and was like wow yeah i that's it like uh, yeah i'm avoiding him too wide receiver 34 i mean let's just look at who's around him um I mean, that's that's not consistent with everywhere I saw. Um, right. I'll say some people had him a little bit lower. Some people for this one, I'm, the ADP 87, some people had him closer to that 100 mark, 99, 94 range. But, I mean, yeah, David Watch had him at receiver 44. But while you're going ahead pulling up some of those guys that are coming after him, like that, that thread was based off highlights. Like I hadn't even had time to actually jump into the film. So that's really what scared me when I saw the highlight, goodness, the highlights of a kid. And that kind of turned me off. It's like, oh, this kid is not nearly as finished a product as I thought he may be. But we have to think about it. Wicks is year four in college. He's probably Virginia's top receiver. Uh, but the, the highlight films that I saw, he was not explosive at all. A lot of these big plays down the field trying to catch the ball, defenders were all around this kid. And, I mean, that's why he has a very low um, yak ability from what I saw. Uh, out of his yardage, and he had, I believe, 1,200 yards, thinking back on it, only 23.7% of those yards were after he made the catch. So, for him to have that many catches, have so much yardage, but not even a quarter of it was after the catch, it was just a lot of he got schemed open or it was just a – Brennan Armstrong was like, screw it. I've got to get it to somebody. And, I mean, his average step to target, according to PFF, was 18.5 yards downfield. His yards per catch was 21.1. Like, that's not even three three yards after the catch that he's contributing to this. So, I know from that, and I know part of the reason was I saw that he does need to get better, not double catching, quick body catching, because those take precious milliseconds away from you being able to make a play, and that's why defenders closed in. He's not fast. Like I said, he's he's probably going to test about as fast as David Bell, maybe a little bit faster. He's in the ACC, which, I mean, I could have brought up for Josh Downs. It's not a great defensive competition group. I mean, I talked to one of the dudes every day in the marketplace. They say, and he studies defensive guys. He studies every position well. He said maybe four defensive backs from ACC goes day one, day two next year. Only four. There was only one that went this year when he exploded onto the scene. It's a limited route scheme. There's a new, well, there's a new offensive coordinator. Uh, there's a new head coach. I don't know what that scheme may look like this year. And if you want to pull up any of the metrics, normally he falls below those for where he should be in year three. So that's 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 kind of a quick summary of what I had for Wicks. Now I assume by this point you've you've got some receivers you like going after him. So I'm curious, like what names do you see after Wicks that you're willing to bet on? So after Wicks right here, I'm seeing right off the bat, I'm seeing Mumfield for Pittsburgh. All Take four. him over Wicks. Yep. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, Arkansas. Take him over Wicks. Seeing him after him. Um, let's see. A.T. Perry, which one of us will talk about. I like him over Wicks. Uh, listed as a wide receiver here, but we know he's a tight end. Eric Gilbert. Definitely take him over. That that's one of those high risk, high reward type guys that we've talked about. Um, Lorenzo Styles Jr. I'm seeing on this list right after him. 
that I will definitely take over Wicks. Um, Dante Demas, take him over Wicks. And then we got, you know, guys that are 2025 guys. We got Keon Graves for Ohio State, and then we got Chaz Preston for Alabama. I'll take all of them over them. And then we even got – there are other positional players that I won't get into, but for one name that I see after him is Cameron Ward. Yep. So. He's, he's worth the risk late when it comes to Debbie. Uh, he's a better C2C asset, but, yeah, yeah. He's, he's worth the risk on Debbie. I uh, went back and put up – Ben, what the statue pulled up for me. He had a 16% market share for receptions, a 25% market share for yards, a 29% market share for touchdowns. And, I mean, he had 1,203 yards receiving last year on 57 catches. So, like, their production's there. I'm not saying, like, this kid can't get day two draft capital. I mean, I even put on my thread that he's probably a day three guy if he can produce again like this. It's just, I don't know. There's there's better ceiling plays. Now, I don't I don't agree with the Jaden Hazelwood talk, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, I just I, there's guys at that point I see higher upsides because they're better athletes, and we know not only production but athletics matter when it comes to going for those first round, second round kind of guys. This is a guy you're really banking on the production side because does not look like, from what I've seen on film, the athletic athleticism is going to match up. Do you do you look at his film and you think like is he more of a, a contested? Uh, That's all he of, is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you know he's got that bulky frame. You know he's got like he's two hundred and ten pounds, um, according to Sports Ref, with six six foot one. So you know he's he's bulky. He's got decent size, but you know uh, you said he's very one dimensional. You know, and I think. Uh, NFL teams don't really want that one dimension with how different scheme defenses and stuff like that come along. Yeah. So when I said he's one dimensional, I meant a lot of his routes are like the the go routes, your post routes, your corner routes, a lot of your deeper routes. But it seems like NFL schemes are looking for those guys who can stretch a field with speed. This is not a dude who's going to do that for you. I haven't seen the underneath, the intermediate routes really develop there. So it's just a lot of he's either got to change his game up or he's got to put on a lot of emphasis this offseason on making himself faster to be better at what he already does. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my concerns with the Wix issue. Um, it's not like there's anything crazy with it. Chancer was one name. Yeah, you mentioned that came after him. I'm not any more excited about taking this dude than I am Dontavious Wicks. Now, some place, uh, some places put A.T. Perry right there in front of Wicks. Some people put these um, Wicks, Perry. You'll put Perry afterwards. But, dude, I don't know if you've if, if y'all had time to sit down and watch this. This dude is slow. I have some kids that they're they're young. They're still learning how to run. Like, these are high schoolers. This dude doesn't beat some of these kids I coach. And it's not like I'm coaching a ton of kids. Like, I have a smaller school, so, like, it worries me that this is going to be another Sage Sherrod, Jaquari Robinson with A.T. Perry. And, yes, that is kind of helmet scouting. They all came from Wake Forest. But at receiver 38, receiver 33 range, like, he does not – he does not project well. He wasn't even the best option if you go back to 2020, like – 
he has a uh, teammate who I prefer more that you can get later, Donovan Green, who outproduced him back in 2020. So there's a chance that A.T. Perry's not even the top guy this year. Rob Robertson, who he played with last year, had less production, but it was still 1,000 yards, I think eight touchdowns. Showed some things on film, and he went undrafted. He's with the Cowboys just trying to make the team right now. I don't think Perry's any better. So he might drop to receiver two. He's slow. He stays way too upright when he runs. He's not able to snap down when he's trying to break on certain routes. And I just I'm not too impressed when I watch him on the on the deep routes either. Like you gotta go back and watch it. And I'll pull up and I'll show it to y'all in a little bit. He makes a couple of these catches downfield deep and he gets hauled down. Like you remember DK Metcalf running that dude down? It's yeah. it's much worse. It's worse. I like so, AT Perry for the production that he put up last year. C2C is um, different. C, yeah, C2C, C2C is where Wake Forest is a great C2C spot. Right. That, that's where I'm at with that. Um, I don't necessarily think when it comes to Debbie that either of these guys are going to be worth the roster spot. Um, who knows? I mean, for all we know, they could end up being like that Zach Wilson type player to where they get some decent draft capital. And then you're like, oh, OK, like that's cool. Um, obviously not first round, but aside from that, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't saying like A.T. Perry is the next best thing, but when it comes to what you put together on Wix, A.T. Perry, I'm just so out on Wix, dude. I might, I would probably take, I, I can't even think of just a wide receiver who doesn't, I would take Treshawn Holden over Dontavious Wix. Okay. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Just That's had to right. throw that out there. Um, I'll say there it. There is one other name I think we need to go ahead and talk about. We didn't talk about the news because we're going to talk about this kid. Chance, me and you both have wrote him down as an avoid. Um, I have to to do this justice real quick. Not every place is out on this kid yet before today's news broke. Uh, Some people had him at 21 when it came to receivers. But go ahead, just share with the people in case they didn't hear. What is going on with Anaya Smith? So Anaya Smith... You got a DWI caught with a weapon. Uh, he has been, I believe. Did you say that was the news came out that he's been suspended? Was that what it was, or that he's... he? The team has suspended him from SEC Media Days. He was supposed to be one of the leaders of the team to go out and talk. Uh, there is discussion right now based off those charges. Him getting arrested for it. I mean, there's there's a decent chance he's not with the team in 2022. Right, and we were both out before this news broke too. And I don't yeah. know what the I don't know what the reasons you were out for, but the reasons I was out for were two people. Evan Stewart, who is my guy, I absolutely love this dude. If you did not watch him in the spring, if you have not just seen his highlights, this dude is an absolute animal. He is one of my he is my wide receiver too for this incoming freshman class, right behind Luther Burden, as he probably is for most people, and then Chris Marshall. Both of them are extremely talented wide receivers. And I can honestly see immediate production from them too, especially now that Anaya Smith is going through what he's going through. And so prior to all that stuff, I was on Smith just because I, I really truly think that those two, Chris Marshall and Evan Stewart are going to heavily take over that receiving game. And Anaya Smith might've taken a back seat. Now with all this stuff, I'm out even more. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he was a short speedster. And, like, there there was just better options if you're going for the shorter guys. Um, a receiver I actually like more than Downs and him. Um, not that most people are taking this kid over 
Anaya Smith, but uh, Marvin Mims, if you're looking for a shorter dude, like he is a receiver I suggest go back and watching. I really liked what I saw when he put it on film. So, yeah, it's just – it was tough. Most people get down on the Jimbo Fisher scheme, and that was kind of my – kind of some of my concerns there. He's a 5'10", 190 guy. He's got to make sure he's an elite speedster. Otherwise, like, where's his path to success? You can look at raw stats if you want to. It's not like Texas A&M's this big throwing school, but raw stats are look, looking pretty bad. Um, I, it's just – there's a lot of factors here. And, I mean, I can even go back and pull up what he was doing. Like, he had a lot of receptions. Like, he had 22% receptions the past two years for the team when it comes to market share. But his yards were actually below that. So, like, he's getting a lot of catches, but he wasn't producing more. Normally what I want to see is more a higher yards market share than receptions because that means he's doing more with what he gets. Yeah, so speaking on what he was doing, so – Here's everything that he got hit with. So he got drive. He got a DWI, which is driving while intoxicated. It's the same as a DUI. Just so maybe, maybe every under the state influence. is different. Yeah, Whatever. every every state is going to be different. He failed to pass his uh, standard field sobriety test, which consists of you know walking in a straight line. They're, they're, every department is different. Um, and then, but he did pass a voluntary breathalyzer. So he was under the 0.08 of the legal limit. Now that he passed the field or that he failed the field sobriety test. Still, you're getting caught with the DWI right there. He had misdemeanor possession of marijuana, which was less than two ounces. It was a single joint. That's not what, none of that scares me. What scares me is that he had the unlawful carrying of a weapon, which I don't know how it is in the state of Texas. In the state of Oregon, I believe, let me, I want to verify this because I can't remember if it's unlawful use or unlawful I know unlawful use of a weapon is a felony. Unlawful carrying might be a class A misdemeanor, which the higher up you get, or no, class C misdemeanor, sorry. Um, uh, all I'm seeing, all I know is my ORS is I don't know Texas laws, but still, when, when you have that, it was loaded. He was under the, he was under the influence. He was intoxicated and it was unlawful carry. So that is not good stuff. That will come with either severe fines or he will end up, you know, spending some time in a county jail, depending on how the DA wants to approach. Yeah, and I mean, I went back and looked at this. Uh, he also last recorded time was a four five one forty, so that is not not a great measure either. On top of the off field issues, it's it was just a tough situation. I mean, I don't expect anybody to be taking him now, but. At the time, like I said, some people had them in their top 25. Man, go ahead. Yeah, I'll say, I saw you looked up something real quick. You know, um, in the, it's by Google here. It says that in the state of Texas, carrying a weapon unlawfully is punishable as a Class A misdemeanor, which you can receive up to a one-year sentence in county jail and a fine not to exceed $4,000. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of less of a misdemeanor in Texas than it is elsewhere. I mean, that's a given. Texas is a very conservative state, um, but still up to one year in jail. And given the fact, and that is without a CHL as well, if you're concealing it um, illegally, so it could be a lot different considering that he was intoxicated and it was unlawful carry, because both of those could go together to make an even bigger charge. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a rough situation. So, I, oh, I don't know yeah. if there's anything else you need to add to that. So, unlawful possession of a firearm can also be considered as a third-degree felony under certain circumstances. And those certain circumstances Oof. can entail being intoxicated. So, it depends. Again, it all depends how the DA wants to approach it. Obviously, when you are a athlete that has, you know, a higher um, – so what I'm looking for when you're more, when you're an athlete, I'm just going to say that when you're, when you're somebody who's you're a bigger public figure, there we go. Boom. Perfect. Obviously that does even, or not even out the odds, but that does help in your favor a lot of times. Uh, but again, it really just depends on the DA when it comes down to it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really all I got to say on that situation. It's just, it's a kid who made a poor choice. And he's going to face consequences right now. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. Um, last one I had, at least on my list, was USC. That receiver room is also pretty loaded. And I know a lot of people get excited. They're like, Lincoln Riley's there, Caleb Williams there. Let me take a lot of these late-round dart throws. But when it comes to anybody after Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, or C.J. Williams, I think even C.J. Williams is kind of ranked low. He's receiver 40s three most recruiting sites. Besides those three, I am not touching anybody else. I know a lot of people will sit there and they'll jump on Brendan Rice real late, Kyle Ford, Tosh Washington, Gary Bryant Jr. Like they'll just take their favorite out of that group. Maybe Michael Jackson, the third Kyron Hudson. And they'll say, yeah, he's, he's a late guy that I can take. I can stash. He'll be something. Lincoln Riley normally does not make a lot of great, receivers outside of his top option and right now it lines up addison in 2023 maybe mario williams in 2024 and then cj williams in 2025 if things work out and i mean even cj williams is a risk but if i'm betting on the upside of possible receiver one sure i'll take that i mean he's only a freshman he could easily transfer if he feels like this system is holding him back yeah, I, I have no arguments there. I, I, I agree with all the sentiment. You know, other than those three, there, there isn't a wide receiver that I'm thinking is worth rostering. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's sort of like the the Alabama um, situation, isn't it? You know, where you see, <laughs> it's a lot like it. You see USC, and you go, "Oh yeah, go on there. I'll take a few of those dart throws." And then at the end of the line, there's not worth anything, and it's just a mixed. It's a missed pick, you know, like those late round picks. You might want to just put a dart throw on them, but they're just not worth it at all. So, yeah, I pretty much agree with what you said. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, it, it is normally a super late, but it's just worth going a different direction to me. So, I feel like that wraps up our receivers. I think tight ends is pretty simple. Ben, I think you can lay the case for everybody right here, but. Go ahead. Let's talk about some tight end voids. Yeah, so basically, well, sort of the top three you're looking at that you don't want to avoid. So you've got Bowers, Mayer, and Trigg. Some people are finally seeing the light on Trigg, trying to put him up into that same group as the other two. Uh, and I, I would argue possibly Gilbert could come into that conversation. He is behind, he is probably the second, third tight end in the team, but I think his, he's got a lot of talent in there to be able to 
bring it out. And like we said before, you've got the risk, you've got the reward. I think it's slightly different with tight ends because you don't have as many safe bets as <laughs> like wide receivers. Definitely. And that's to say, to say the least, you know. So it's sort of like you get those three, maybe four guys. You see Chance here has everyone not named uh, Maya. You've got the top three, you know. It's just personal preference, uh, really, on how you value those three or four. But I think anyone below those four, you can sort of just push away and say, no, thanks, not for me. I mean, anybody, yeah, that's and that's what you said. Like, for me, same thing. Anybody after Bowers, Mayor, uh, Mayor Trigg, I'm probably not taking. Gilbert, I agree with you. I'm kind of 50-50 on him. I don't know which way I lean. Like, there's talent. Situation kind of lines up decently with being at Georgia, but it's it's risky. But, I mean, if we go after this, like, a lot of the guys I see in the top five or top ten after those guys, it's like Jaheim Bell. South Carolina. It's a six foot two tight end. I'm not betting on a six foot two tight end. Julio Skinner for Miami. I don't know if Miami can put together anything. Oscar Delp from Georgia. Sure, if you want to bet on a freshman tight end in Debbie and have to wait until 2025 when he's an NFL rookie and we hope an NFL rookie tight end has a season like Pat Fryermuth. It's just it's it's a wasted pick. I don't care if it's your last pick. It's it's there's a receiver or a running back that's worth it more. Yeah, I, I put everyone not named Mayor just on the fact that Mayor and Bowers are right there at ADP, and I prefer Mayor over Bowers. Um, when it comes and if to Debbie, you get him a year earlier. Yeah, and when it comes, you know, I mean, Trig, I, I'm fine with Trig. I like Trig, but realistically, if I'm going after, if I'm sitting there and I'm like, I want a tight end, I'm going to take Mayer, so I'm passing on every other tight end, because there's no need to really stack up on them, unless you're like a start two tight end league. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's well said, so this episode, it's been good. Ben, go ahead. What were your closing thoughts right there? So I was going to say, so someone like Trig, apparently by C2C uh, ADP, he would be tight end five. Off of the uh, board, you've got Daniel Washington, Julio Skinner. So oh, that's got to be updated. That's that's not right. That that can't be. Oh, uh, June ADP for Trig was forty-four, but his average is eighty-four. So the definitely people, getting on the Trig. People are going up the right way, and I know we'll talk about some Trig love. I, I can tell over here, Ben, you got something for him. So we won't spoil the next episode real quick. But real quick, I know it's, again, this episode's been good. It is running a little bit long. So let's go ahead and let's wrap it up. Chance, you want to kind of let the people know where we've been, where we're at, how to find us, the whole crew. Yeah, you can find me at ChanceFF on Twitter. That is Chance with two N's in the name Chance. You can find Andrew at underscore Debbie Scout. You can find Ben at Ben Barpass. Didn't say piss this time, so we're good there. You can find the Filmalytics Twitter at Filmalytics underscore. And then I got to pull up. I don't remember everybody's. So I know, Matt, you can find Matt at M9. That is N-E-I-N, like no in German. And then the number nine after that on Twitter. You can find Chad at Tweets by Chad. And then you can find Austin. Let me pull him up real quick. Oh, why are you, you pulling that one up? 
at Austin underscore Evan seven. Okay. I'd about to say we're not just a Twitter group. So if you're wanting to follow Filmalytics, we also have a TikTok at Filmalytics underscore. We also have an Instagram at Filmalytics underscore, along with our Twitter, which I know Chance you already said has the same exact handle. Um, podcast, you just search for Filmalytics. That's how you listen to us, along with our other good podcasts that are coming down the line as well. Outside of that, guys, I mean, I think this is kind of a good way to just tell you, go ahead and let's go check out patreon.com backslash Filmalytics. And just see what we can do to help meet your fantasy football needs. And again, go join that Discord. It's free. It don't cost. Get in there. Let's talk with some bunch of us. There's a bunch of fantasy football nerds. I've got a little bit of soccer in there as well. I'll see that starting to pop up as well. Keep listening to us over here at the Debbie Workshop Podcast with Chance, Ben, and myself as we break down these names that you need to build your dynasty pipeline for years to come. See you guys.